This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. And now, from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is the CMO Spotlight. With insight from top executives on how to address the key challenges facing the business world and the marketing industry. Here are your hosts, Catherine Hayes and Jenny Rooney. Welcome to the CMO Spotlight. We like to say it's by CMOs, for CMOs, and everyone else who wants to know what today's chief marketing officers are thinking and doing, including where they're investing their time, energy, and resources for the future. I'm Catherine Hayes, co-author of Beyond Advertising, Creating Value Through All Customer Touchpoints, and former executive director of the Wharton Future of Advertising program. Hi, Catherine. I'm Jenny Rooney. I'm the editor of the Forbes CMO Network, and uh, I'm excited to be here with you. A little bit about our backstory. After three years of hosting radio shows, it seems like our interviews with CMOs were so distinctive uh, (laughs) that we're spinning off from the Marketing Matters radio show, inspiringly hosted by Professors Barbara Kahn and Americus Reed, who continue Wednesdays from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time uh, on the reported uh, recorded podcasts. Um, it's really a fabulous show. I always love listening to them. Very, very entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I do want to give them a shout out, but also excited for us to be launching our own CMO Spotlight show. So thanks very much. Yeah, no, it's great to be here, Catherine. I, I'm looking forward to sort of a new fun series of interviews with CMOs. Same, same. It's always great that you tap into your network um, through the Forbes CMO network and uh, and get us some wonderful people. So we, without further ado, um, on this particular show, we like to come up with some themes. Yeah. Um, and on this particular show, we're going to be talking about the chief marketing officer's first 100 days, um, what she, he must prioritize and why, what are the barriers to success, challenges, all those good things to really find out and dig in uh, what's going on. So uh, we'll ask them to start by sharing a little bit about their personal journey uh, and their current roles. Um, so with that, you know, I asked just one more thing. I just wanted the listeners to kind of, as you're hearing this, you know, think about in the back of your mind, we're at Wharton, so we like to be kind of in teaching mode too, but um, learning mode, I should say, uh, what would you do in your first 100 days? And sometimes you can think about that even in your own job, think of a restart. Like, what if this was my first 100 days? Would I be doing something different than, you know, just the day-to-day? Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of cultural mores would you be considering challenging? Um, and what should you celebrate more and how? And then how do you think about your short and long-term strategy? So those are some of the things I hope you, we hope to get to with our guests. Um, 30 minutes, so let's go ahead and get started. Um, I wanted to welcome, first of all, Elizabeth Rutledge. She is the Chief Marketing Officer for American Express. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Thank you so much. Really excited to be here. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, how are you, Jenny? Very well, thanks. Nice to hear your voice. Likewise. So usually what we do, depending on the company, is to have you um, tell a little bit of background about uh, your company. But I think pretty much everybody knows about American Express. <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in the same regard, you're kind of new again. Um, it's just so exciting about your announcement on, on April 3rd. So if you could start with just giving us a little bit about that, um, and then we'll ask you to talk about your background, too. Sure. Uh, the announcement was um, in February. Oh, okay. And I um, became CMO, and I um, have just been, had a great first 100 days. We are just uh, rolling out our new global brand platform here in the U.S., and it's all about supporting how people live and work today, and it's, it's called Powerful Backing. 
don't do business, don't live life without it. And that has pretty much been consuming my first 100 days, <laughs> making it happen. Well, let's, so let's talk about that. I mean, that is sort of your first out of the gate, um, you know, sort of presentation to the world of what, what, uh, what we can expect from American Express marketing and branding under your leadership. Um, you know, talk a little bit about, um, you know, what led up to that, but more importantly, talk about your experience at American Express that led you up to this point of actually assuming the role of CMO at the company. Sure. Maybe I'll start uh, first with my experience. I am a 28-year veteran um, um, at American Express, so long-timer, um, and I have had numerous um, jobs. They've been global jobs, local jobs. They've been marketing jobs. They've been product manager jobs. Uh, they've been focused on B2B segment, um, B2C. And I say all of that because I think that's really helped me right. um, as we've uh, launched this uh, platform, um, just having all of those experiences. That's great. And I don't think we find a lot of CMOs who have that sort of uh, long-term grounding. history and yeah. heritage, if you will, with, with one company. You've seen a lot of changes at the company, of course. Can you talk a little bit about that? I, I have, and you're, you're absolutely right. I think um, you don't see that loyalty but I, uh, or that, that longevity maybe is a better way to say it. But I think the reason why I've been here so long is just what's at the heart of our company is relationships. We are a relationship brand, um, and I've had just tremendous opportunities um, in terms of uh, you know, seeing all types of people, um, segments, um, all types of, of, of work. And uh, that has really kept me excited um, and challenged um, as I've been here. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. You you um, you stepped into that CMO role as, in February, as you said. Um, this month was the debut of the new ad campaign. Um, so really, that was a, sh a, a short period of development for the campaign. Um, you know, since we're talking about first 100 days. Did you talk a little bit about what, you know, sort of what you felt was sort of job number one in stepping into that role, especially, quite frankly, following on the heels of um, of John Hayes, somebody who was such an iconic, well, well-known and well-regarded CMO in the broad marketing industry? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. John um, Hayes was a just incredible mentor to me, um, advocate uh, and supporter. Um, and I think, again, that's one of the many reasons why. I'm here at American Express. Um, but you're right, I also wanted to uh, stand up and sort of stand out um, in terms of what I thought the next chapter for American Express should be all about. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, I had been working on it uh, a bit before I took over the CMO, CMO role. Um, and part of what drew me to this platform or this campaign is, is this sort of unique insight. Um, and I believe we're going to be looking back and seeing a historical change in people's relationship with work, how they make money, and how that intersects um, with their personal life. And really, this platform is sort of all about Amex um, and the powerful backing and how we support our customers in their work and life. And so that, that is sort of the core, the essence of the insight. Um, and I believe we have the products and services um, to really support um, those needs, those customers. And it was also important for me to have just a consistent platform that could work flexibly across all markets in all mediums. 
I love that concept. We've talked many times in the in the book um, Beyond Advertising um, to sort of get rid of the concept of campaign, which has sort of a disposable co- concept yeah. to it, mm-hmm. and think of it more as platform that one invests in, that you build upon, that that can grow and has legs and uh, and and real gravitas. So that's that's just wonderful to hear and. What an amazing um, insight, too. Jenny and I were talking before the show how just how it gets to the heart of what we've been feeling uh, in our lives and, and reading about, but but really seems to crystallize it. And for you as a brand, you do seem to have kind of a, a unique role in, in being able to claim that space given the history of your cards. Can you talk a little bit about that? And, and obviously your background, as you said, you were on both the B2B and the B2C side. Sure. I think first, um, let's talk about the platform. You mentioned that before. Really important, um, uh, both to me and I think to the organization, because I think this is not just about what we say, but kind of who we are um, and what we do. And I think that this insight, um, as well as our strength in terms of relationships and creating those enduring relationships, can sort of, you know, power everything, our product innovation, um, our, our servicing promise, uh, you know, that certainly we're known for that security, mm-hmm. um, trust, um, and this can elevate that um, as well. The other thing is, um, and I'm very passionate about this as well, you know, I think people see us as a consumer brand. Mm-hmm. And 40% of our business uh, comes from our business segment. Um, and so we have that uh, depth and breadth of products and services that can meet um, these needs of, of people who have these blended lives. Um, and, and we need to be there, you know, right in that moment for them. I also think that there's some really interesting um, external um, trends that I've been following, you know, um, and to give you sort of a couple, uh, uh, 50%, I believe, of U.S. workers um, uh, will be freelance um, by the year uh, 2020. Wow! Um, and I, you know, I think when you start to see, you know, the gig economy, uh, really the growth of it, um, uh, both from a, a freelancer sort of a virtual sharing economy perspective, you really need to think differently mm-hmm. um, about how you're going to show up as a brand. I love that. I what I love about it is that you're. You know, we always talk about companies and brands having purpose, right, and sort of articulating that that, that core purpose. But what you did with this and find it sort of isolating that key insight, you were responding to what you've seen co- happen in culture, you know, and in, in, in work and life. So you're responding on the one hand, but in the same time, you're also enabling or, or putting a stake in the ground and kind of making a declarative statement that this is the way we are moving right as a as a as a working culture if you will so do you know what i'm saying so you're, it's a push pull uh, or pull push kind of thing i know. totally i totally get what you're talking about and uh when when you said that what's what struck me is also um that this is as much about our own employees as well mm-hmm. um and enabling them i couldn't think of um better um, and brand ambassadors, the 54,000-plus employees that we have. So mm-hmm. this was as much about empowering them yeah. um, to really own those powerful backing moments. Um, uh, you know, they need to take it forward or we need to take it forward. Again, it's back to this just not – this is not just a campaign. Um, this is a, a way of doing business, a way of doing work. And we've thought about as many things that we need to help our employees with in this you know, sort of changing environment as well. 
um, in terms of both sort of processes and the work environment as well so that we can just get better, better work, um, uh, you know, better output. If you're just joining us, our guest is Elizabeth Rutledge. She's the Chief Marketing Officer for American Express. I'm Catherine Hayes, and I'm here with Jenny Rooney from the Forbes CMO Network. Yeah, I was just going to say, Elizabeth, you know, um, it's interesting, too, because obviously we also talk about brands, um, you know, and thought leadership, right, and and sort of being able to t- be well-versed on certain topics. So it, it almost does put American Express into this realm of, you know, not just being a thought leader, you not just being a thought leader it's a in do marketing. Leader. It's a do leader. But it puts them into another conversation about, you could argue about the future of work, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you could see you talking in conferences that have nothing to do with marketing per se, but talk about sort of the, the new working world. And obviously that's your heritage too and you're in your you know um, development of Small, Small Business Saturday and sort of engaging with that community over the years. So clearly it puts you in sort of a, a at least dual thought leadership position, if you will, or in conversation, relevance in conversation around uh, the future of work. You know, I completely agree with you. Pivot a little bit in terms of you made me also think about um, just as you think about the future of work and the environment, you made me think about design and the importance of design. Mm -hmm. And that has been sort of crucial both in this platform, um, but even beyond, I'll give you a good example in terms of our global lounge collection and really trying to create an environment or a space um, where if you sort of need, need to recharge um, before that long flight, right. um, you need to get out that last um, you know, sort of email, or you're there relaxing with your family um, and sort of trying to take in the environment and the good food um, to just get you started on a fun family vacation. We're really thinking about um, just how our brand shows up, mm-hmm. both in small and large spaces um, and in experiences, you know, really crucial for us to, to, to show up. Um, you know, in that way, understanding their needs, both in, in work and life. And so do you already have those presences? In, we, in, in terms of our Global Lounge collection? Yes. Yes. We, we so you're doing a revamp of them. Yeah, well, uh, what we're doing is introducing sort of more of them um, and uh, really focusing in on just what our customers need. Um, but we have our proprietary sort of lounge collection um, uh, around uh, the U.S. and beginning to expand uh, sort of globally um, as well. That must have been so much fun yeah. Yeah. as a marketer. As you say, you're getting you're in the hospitality industry too, and you're you're in, <laughs> empowering your employees as well. So you really are thinking about this as a a 360 degree um, effort, sort of all touch points, indeed. Yeah, we, we we are. I mean, I'll give you another example. We thought a lot about our our sort of br- our brand and our visual identity, um, and the importance of it. I mean, when you have a hundred and sixty eight plus year history, um, you want to make sure that you maintain that service security trust. But we also wanted to think about modernizing um, our brand, in particular, how our brand shows up in small spaces. Um, and so we've redesigned our logo to just ensure sort of clarity. Um, freshness and modernness, you know, as it shows up in a mobile platform, you know, as well. So this is what's been really cool and exciting about this platform is just getting to think about all these sort of different elements, all these different touch points, all these different experiences that we're trying to create for our customers. And the details matter. Can, can I ask you to that point, you know, how do you as a new CMO and back to our point about, you know, our, our focus on first 100 days, 
you know, as you're trying to make an impact, how do you how do you go through the process? And I know Catherine was really focused on um, having us talk through the how behind all this. But how do you work through that process of like, how much do I maintain right from the previous, um, you know, um, brand um, experience and activation and presence? Um, and then how but how much do I how much do I innovate beyond what had been? You know, how do you strike that balance and how do you make that decision as a new CMO? It's a, a, a really important question and one that I and the team are really focused on. And really, it's all about insights um, and having a sort of a customer first mindset in terms of thinking um, about what to hold on to. Um, and and also how to sort of show up differently. Um, so the way we prioritize that is first and foremost that 168 heritage do not want to leave that behind. You know, as I said to you before, we're about relationship, security, trust, and want to make sure as our brand shows up that people understand that. But it's also important that we're showing up differently. And I talked about that a little bit before in terms of just how people are living their lives mm-hmm. um, and, and particularly that intersection of sort of life and business. And I think a lot of it comes to fruition through the mobile phone, you know, and just mm-hmm. making sure those experiences are seamless. Um, uh, you know, you can get business done um, uh, frictionless, but they're also delivering value. And, and, and this is a lot to ask. They're seamless, delivering value, um, and they're also creating that emotional brand connection. What's happening inside the organization? What has happened as far as your team, the marketing organization, employees at large? How has it affected, uh, you know, motivation, um, excitement for working for the brand? Can you talk specifically about some of the good fallout that's come from this new uh, platform? I have to tell you, I, I'm amazed. And, you know, I've been here 28 years, as we talked about, the enthusiasm, mm-hmm. the you know, sort of the energy and the ability um, for our employees to feel like they own this. They've got this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and in so many ways, in terms of the promises they're delivering to each other, you know, sort of to our partners, to our customers. I mean, this has really kind of inspired our sort of our value system um, and, you know, and, and I'll give you a couple of little examples, uh, you know, of, of the excitement. We um, f- have used this as a sign-off on our, all of our email um, communications mm-hmm. internally and externally um, because we feel that's just a sort of a core way to talk about, you know, kind of who we are. And people have embraced it immediately. Um, so that's been really fun to see. Um, and uh, we've also given them tools uh, to allow them to sort of show their sort of presence in uh, their social um, channels as well. And I think they're proud. You know, they're, they're proud about the brand. They're, they're proud to talk about it. And I just feel like what my team has done is just enabled it, you know, right. enable that. What, a, what an amazing effort. I, I'm, I'm, the, the breadth of it is so important. And I think we've, we've talked a lot uh, on this show how the role of CMOs in, in – engaging employees and this is just such a culture perfect, building yeah culture that's a huge such a such an well. exciting aspect of it one of the things you mentioned um before that i wanted to go back to elizabeth was uh you mentioned that details being really important and paying attention to details can you tell us about that because you know we've been talking sort of big strategy which is so compelling how about the details yeah. Um, you should ask my team about, <laughs> about that. Um, How many uh, sleepless nights have they uh, yeah, logged? <laughs> definitely. And, you know, 
we all care about the details, um, and, and details matter in our work. Um, because you want to, at the end of the day, just deliver um, the best customer experience. And I think it's also an iterative process. you got to learn. And I, I also personally have had to learn in terms of sort of uh, when to really lean in in terms of those details and then <laughs> uh, when to sort of stand back a little bit and, and let it happen. What's been your biggest challenge stepping into the CMO role? What was the most unexpected um, thing you've had to deal with? Uh, time management, um, a lot of different priorities, um, and just figuring out, again, uh, when to say no. I always say yes. <laughs> so I've had to learn how to say no. Yeah. Um, and I've had to, um, you know, oftentimes I've had this desire to sort of deliver perfection. <laughs> um, oh, out, yeah. Out, yeah, well, out the gate. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, only hard, that's not only hard on yourself, but that's hard for your team mm-hmm. um, as well. And um, so it's, a, it's, it's definitely a, a balancing act. T- tell us a little bit about you, you know, yourself as a person. I know that you... Um, you're particularly passionate about one aspect of your life, and that is being a parent Mm -hmm. Um, and obviously uh, giving your all to that role as well at the same time, you know, being, being a corporate executive. So talk a little bit about that and and tell us a little bit about who you are as a person. Sure. Um, uh, I, I have a 22 year old daughter, very proud um, of uh, what she's accomplished. And I think she's sort of living a bit of what I've talked about in terms of that intersection mm-hmm. work and life in a very different way than when I was 22. Um, but uh, we have a close-knit family um, and uh, just enjoy spending time together. Uh, just uh, And it's hard sometimes to find that time, um, uh, but really, really enjoy that personal time um, that we get to spend. Uh, together. The other thing that's probably influenced a bit of my life is uh, before my advertising career, I was a ninth grade biology teacher. Um, and I have to tell you, I learned so much, um, so, so much, really formative experience um, in terms of uh, both how to stand up in front of a crowd um, and keep them engaged um, for you know more than five or ten minutes. Um, and then also just uh, I think it, 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 I have sort of grown in terms of being really enjoying that teacher role yeah. in terms of bringing others along. Um, and I, I really enjoy that experience when uh, someone gets something or the light bulb goes off or you help them, mm-hmm. um, you know, sort of a- along the way. Well, and there's a big focus. I mean, mentoring women in this industry is so important right now. And I know that that's something that's important to you as well. And do you have advice for other women who are seeking the top spot in any given organization? You know, um, I get that asked that question, um, you know, quite a bit. And for me, I'm always going to come back to uh, having a point of view, having a voice, stepping up, you know, sort of stepping out, um, and just trying to maintain kind of who you are um, through the whole thing. But for me, it's about having voice um, and just making sure your voice is heard. It's a fabulous story. We're so excited to see where where this continues. Where where can we expect to see it move, all continue over the, to all evolve? Over the place. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, uh, you will see the platform in both expected and unexpected places. Um, whether it be 
in terms of mobile, our social platforms, podcasts, connected TV, um, outdoor, you know, many, many places. And they're all really where that intersection, you know, where consumers are in terms of that intersection of sort of life and work. There's been a lot of conversation around, um, speaking of uh, all those different elements and expected and unexpected, um, about the role between uh, marketing organizations and agencies. And I noticed uh, in the press release there were quite a number of uh, uh, agency partners who you had. How have you found um, those relationships evolving, um, or how did they evolve specifically through this kind of an effort? My, the partners are so important and critical to the success of this work, and the work was created by a team of agencies, McGarry Bowen, Pentagram, Ogilvy, Mindshare, and Digitas, just to name you know, a few, but those are the core agencies. And you know, uh, we work well together, um, and I think the reason for that is um, you know, clear briefs, um, sort of agile kind of working methodology, um, a test and learn environment, um, speaking straight with one another um, and building those relationships over time. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's been really important. Um, and and also just the collaborative nature um, of those agencies. They're delivering uh, their, their best work. And I also think the central concept um, that we've created, the flexibility of the platform, really allows for each of these agencies and their expertise to come through because Mm -hmm. we have such a flexible platform as well. It's been just a great experience, really has. Flexible and compelling, too. Mm -hmm. One question that I had is on on the B2B and the B2C. We've always, you know, traditionally thought of those as very distinctive. Um, And I know we've started to talk about evolving those to B and B and B and C, so as opposed to, you know, at to with. Um, but obviously, you're blending those even more in, in this platform. How do you, how has that evolved, uh, those two parts of marketing, and how are they coming together? Sure. I think it's going to come together in a couple of different ways. One, in terms of uh, more personalization um, mm. and just, you know, acknowledging the customer and sort of what they need and trying to be smart about when in their journey um, we need to be there for them. You know, many of the first relationships that are started at American Express start with a corporate card, you know, as an example. Mm-hmm. And so as they uh, come, you know, come into the franchise, uh, just acknowledging sort of where they are in their life cycle and just ensuring as they move, as they have sort of trigger moments in their life that we're there um, uh, to deliver those products and services, you know, when they, when they need them, you know, be it from a business financing perspective mm-hmm. to, as we talked about before, in terms of um, the, the lounge uh, collection that we have. And you can think of there that the lounge I like to, to highlight because it's just a perfect example of someone um, who could be for one moment in their work life and the right. next moment, you know, sort of running to their personal life yes. um, as, a, as a really great example. But it's also making us think about how we sort of, uh, you know, approach uh, our work, design our products, build our capabilities. How are you viewing your competition right now, especially as obviously new payment mechanisms come into play and as younger generations are coming up and, you know, are more well-versed and comfortable with sort of newer platforms? How do you view where you guys sit in that universe? Listen, we have a differentiated business model, um, and that's what's so powerful um, about who we are and how we stand out sort of differently um, competitively. Mm-hmm. And to give a little bit more color um, in terms of that, um, we both have um, a, a merchant network 
Um, and that is just so powerful in terms of the relationships that we're able to develop there. Um, and, and a good example, we've talked about this already in terms of Small Business Saturday, in terms of sort of bringing the power right. of our, mer- you know, our merchant network to our consumer network. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's what's, what, how we stand out, how we differentiate ourselves, differentiate ourselves um, in terms of um, those relationships and those insights. Well, this has just been absolutely fascinating, Elizabeth. I'm really appreciative of your taking the time to to share it with us and spend time with us. And I hope we get to have you back on when some of these uh, wonderful new um, activations come into play, and we can we can highlight some of those and and hear what the successes looked like for you. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Had a great time. Thanks. Wonderful. Thanks, Thank you. Thank you. Now in our second half of the show uh, that we're talking about CMO's first 100 days, mm-hmm. we're excited to welcome to the show Jay Livingston. He's the CMO, Chief Marketing Officer for Bark. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thanks. Thrilled to be here. Wonderful Hi, Jay. to have you. Hi, Jenny. So we wanted to start with a little bit. We want to talk dogs. We want to talk dogs. Um, We want to talk, not you as a dog. That's not what she meant. I wanted to clarify that. But um, but can you just give us a little bit of background first about Bark and what Bark is, and then about your journey? Um, How did you come to Bark? And then we'll get into a little bit about your 100 days, please. Sure. There's actually a big bulldog laying right at my feet sleeping (laughs) uh, named Frank that I think Jenny met when she was in the office one time. So Frank is... uh, He's, our, he's always on guard for pigeons or other problems here. <laughs> Say hi to Frank for me. I will. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Bark, uh, Bark is known as the makers of Bark Box. So we're, we start as a subscription business. We currently have about 700,000 subscribers to our monthly box of toys and treats uh, that comes in a very themed package every month. Uh, we also now have a retail store named Bark, called Bark Shop where we sell all things dog. And then we're in retail where we have the end caps. Uh, the pet sections of all 1,800 targets nationwide. Wow. So we just started that relationship last August. Um, we're also sort of known for our social engagement and community that we built um, early on. So we have about 13 million followers across all of our various handles and have a tremendous amount of engagement, about seven times the engagement of all the other pet brands combined in the U.S. Wow. So um, we, we do really well there. Uh and yeah, so my background is I worked for 20 years, believe it or not, at Bank of America. Um, I was recruited out of Miami, Ohio, uh, and sort of rotated around to every functional area of marketing at the company. And then I, I retired from the company. They have a thing there called the Rule of 60, which is your age plus years of service. And so when I hit that number, um, I had been doing some angel investing around New York, uh, uh, and sat on a couple of boards and was were advising a bunch of companies and was kind of missing that on the ground nitty gritty you know hand to hand combat of marketing mm-hmm. close to the customer that we had just gotten away from and it, I had gotten away from in a bigger jobs at Bank of America. So I mean, so, oh, go ahead, please. Yeah, no. I mean, what was the big? I mean, talk about you couldn't pick two more different industries, right, or two more different companies. Um, so coming into Bark, I mean, first of all, what attracted you to it? I think it's a no brainer, but go ahead. You, t- you tell us. <laughs> well, you know, I took one is I took two years off and really continued to angel invest and spend some time with these smaller companies. And so I had a strong feel for what that experience was going to be like. Mm-hmm. Like I knew what it was going to be like to sit at an open floor plan table with like 
20 millennials, you know, Mm -hmm. at the end of that table, that was not something that you would experience at, say, Bank of America. But I was really looking for a a consumer-facing company that uh, made a physical product, so I wasn't interested in software or something like that. I just liked the idea of a physical, actual product that brought people joy. Um, and I also wanted to be headquartered in New York City. And so, you know, those four things are hard to find where a CMO kind of comes up, uh, opportunity comes up that fits that category, those categories. And so I was friends through some of my angel investing with one of the co-founders, Henrik Werdelin, who owns an incubator called Prehype. And they had incubated 30 or 40 businesses, um, a couple of which I had invested in. And so he said, you know, we may need a CMO here shortly. And that kind of started the conversation. I got in here, uh, loved the company, loved what, uh, how mission-based marketing and mission-based it was overall, and decided to jump in. So you obviously knew a lot about it before you got going. But just in terms of, you know, this, the theme of the first 100 days, what scared the hell out of you on your first day? You know, the first day, I think, is always that unknown of, um, man, this thing, my support structure from Bank of America. So especially spending as long as I had spent there, I I was a known entity, right? And I had credibility when I wanted to do things or get things done. And in a big company, relationships are such a big part Mm -hmm. of how you get things moving. And as I sat there the first day, not only... Do I not know any of these people, but they're suspicious of me because I come from a big company. Mm. So I actually have a little bit of negative baggage, like what is this banker going <laughs> to be able to really like help us with or do here? And I sort of felt a little bit of that the first day. And so um, that was probably what made me a little bit nervous. That's a really great point, though. And I've been to your offices and they I mean, they are just as cool as cool gets as far as a, a corporate working environment, if you can even call it that. I mean, it's just... The open workflow, the collaborative environment, the, the very dogs. relaxed, the dogs. Um, and, you know, we always talk about culture, CMOs being culture drivers within organizations. You almost had the opposite problem, right? You had to come in and you had to be adopted by them. You had to, you know, be respectful of that culture that you were sort of stepping into. How did you negotiate that? And also, at the same time, how do you sort of, you know, against that backdrop, how do you sort of um, assert yourself, right, and make your presence known in in a positive way? Well, it's funny. There's even a dress code here, right, whereas in the startup world, in the growth world, like anything more than a T-shirt, a jeans, again, is regarded with suspicion. <laughs> I had, and I had no wardrobe, but they joke <laughs> with me all the time. I had to go out and buy a bunch of stuff uh, to actually fit in here because, these companies have sort of dress codes, and it's, it's a big part of their culture. Yeah. Um, I mean, the first thing, I think, which is, you know, tried advice, but just to do a lot of listening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the more and more I listened, I remember um, one of the co-founders said a good piece of advice to me was, the first thing you should do is help us tell our story. And I think what she meant by that is certainly don't come in and start to say, here are all the opportunities where I can jump in and make this happen. You know, help us tell the story that we've already had a lot of success with, Mm. and that will give you sort of the credibility to, um, you know, start to put your stamp on things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things that you talked about at the very beginning was this um, amazing social presence um, that um, the company has. Can you tell us 
how that came to be? Was that, you know, prior to you? What have you done with it since you've been there? It's obviously uh, incredibly impressive. I think you said seven times uh, the combined uh, uh, presence of, of all the other dog brands. Yeah, I, you know, a, a couple of things were going on there. One is that this is such an entrepreneurial company, so we're constantly launching new products, new ideas. And one of those products early on was called Bark Posts, and the idea was that it was going to be a media property for dogs. And so <laughs> they spent about a year building that up. And you know, it's so tough to build a media property that way uh, that that is makes money on its own, but they learned so much through that process and they created such a good muscle memory for building that community and that audience Mm. that a lot of those folks and a lot of that experience stayed around and really helped us to continue to accelerate um, everything that we were doing there. I mean, we've done custom content, thing called Dog's Best Day that got 200 million views. It was just something that we filmed people taking dogs on sort of um, their ultimate journeys, uh, the, the dog's bucket list kind of thing. And um, we did a lot of all our custom content. We actually don't use any agencies. So we every bit of content we do from an advertising standpoint, uh, anything we do. It's wow. And we believe that that's kind of the only way to really create that authenticity, which is so core to who we are and is what separates us from all the other pet brands that, uh, you know, did not feel like they were an authentic uh, dog place like we do, in my opinion. So that's such a, you know, topic of conversation at so many marketers these days, right, is how much should we have in-house, how much, you know, actual execution and and content development do we, we, you know, have within our walls as opposed to working with agency partners um, to execute. So... And yet you came from a company that obviously worked with agency partners. So, you know, how do you, how do you, you know, how would you regard um, the shifts that are happening right now among all marketers, um, at least from your vantage point and sort of from your two points of experience? Do you think that has to happen for every brand or is it just because you guys are in such a unique place and you started that way that you were able to make that happen? I think millennials and younger people value authenticity in a way that I never felt um, early in my career, right? I mean, we loved at Bank of America doing the big polished, you know, creative and video and our television commercials look like you spent a million dollars on each one of them. And Mm -hmm. um, I think that was more valued by the audience. And as you know, with marketing, these things go in sort of waves, generationally even. And this current generation, a lot of our customers really value authenticity more. The user-generated content that we get constantly from our customers filming their dogs getting the box, um, I can't uh, – Any it outperforms every piece of marketing content yeah. that I develop, hands down. Yeah. Well, then what uh, – so you're really co-creating with them. So your your audience is indeed your, your, uh, your collaborators. That's right. And it's been super eye-opening to me, right, where to not try to force that, mm. to actually let that let that realness come through. You know, dogs are imperfect and they're, you know, <laughs> they're messy and we want to let them be dogs. But we also, I think it's a great uh, thing as we think about who we are, we're the same way. And we're not trying to portray some polished version of, of who we are. And I think that really speaks to to a lot of our customers. And you really have a personality, right? I think that's the other thing in terms of your keeping it in-house so that, that the personality is consistent. Yeah, the agencies, and I've worked with, you know, many of the biggest in the world, who are a lot of whom have a lot of brilliant people, but they're 
they'll just never care to the degree that you care mm-hmm. internally. And it's very difficult for mm-hmm. people that are going to work on 15 different accounts in three-year period of time to create that same authenticity and knowledge of the customer that you get by um, having that on house. Now, the flip side is you got to be careful that that doesn't get stale. Right. And especially as you mature as a company that I can hear a bunch of agency people out there thinking, well, yeah, but, you know, give that seven, eight, nine, ten years. Mm. How do you continue to keep that really live energy coming in and that's something we've got to really you know work on to make sure that that doesn't happen well it's also interesting because you know you're almost in the opposite situation where other companies are seeking to find their purpose or they're seeking to build a community or they're seeking to build a reason for being you know what i mean like in that kind of engagement you walk into a company that already has it ready made and in, in fact it's so powerful and it's so um you know so um so real you know, you have the opposite problem. You don't want to disrupt that in any way, right? So, you know, God forbid you do anything. And here you are as a new CMO, which, by the way, is a new role for the company, right? The company had never had a CMO before when you uh, came they in? They had had a CMO, actually. Okay. Um, they had had a CMO previously, but uh, our founders are also very good marketers themselves. And so right. there are a lot of cooks in that kitchen. <laughs> as most founder-led companies, it's you know, sure. this idea that, being a CMO at a founder-led company is a, I think it has the shortest uh, tenure of any C-level position. And, you know, it's tough because founders have a close relationship to the brand and marketing um, that it's very rare to find, they can find someone that they trust to basically take that forward. But like, so you're really having to be cognizant of that, all those factors at work while also trying to make your mark, right? And figuring out, well, what do I do here? What What's my value add? So how do you, how did you negotiate that reality? My initial, what, what I really tried to do early on is pour gasoline on the things that were already working really well. <laughs> yeah. And what the company didn't have were often processes to make a lot of the great stuff they were doing work at scale. Sure. And so... Scaling that up and and helping folks put some of that into place, like a lot of folks on my team have never worked at another company or they haven't worked at a big company where they saw, you know, how can we make something that's really has a lot of interest to 5,000 people? How do we get that to 5 million people? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'd had a lot of experience with that. So on my first, uh, the first, I think, thing I focused on was bringing that sort of process and um, scalability to a lot of good things that were happening. And then as I got, as people started to see, I hope this is what they'd say, as people started to see, hey, he's got some good ideas on making us like better at being who we are, then you can start to bring in your own creativity and your own creative ideas. But this company already had a lot of that. So uh, it was not a place where it was going to be smart for me to try to jump in and, and, and do that. And there was no reason for me to do that. So with with a company where it sounds like so many of the people are involved in the quote unquote marketing because it's 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 a lot of content, how are you organized and how do you you know who reports directly to you who doesn't and how do you coordinate all of those sorts of things in a coherent way? You know, this is something where uh, we've had this conversation with the founders a lot and and you know we're pretty big now so we're going to do two hundred and forty million in revenue this year or so and we're profitable. Um, and, and we're profitable. <laughs> and, and we're profitable, right, which is, you know, not a lot not of us, companies yeah. can say that. So the 
the ethos of the company is to be very entrepreneurial and distrust distrust a little bit of these overarching mm-hmm. orgs where um, people support multiple businesses. Um, I we started out very separated, and I have started to bring some functions a little bit more corporate, just because when I say more corporate, more centralized, mm-hmm. because that is a environment that I'm very comfortable managing and working in. So you know we have. Now our PR sort of spans across the businesses and our entertainment partnerships person sort of spans across the businesses. So I have growth leaders for each of the businesses, Bark Box, Super Tour, which is a new box of ours that's for tough <laughs> chewing dogs, um, you know, Bark Shop, our retail business, uh, and then a couple of new product lines. So I have growth leads that are very digital uh, oriented folks that have done a lot of paid social, a lot of affiliate, a lot of uh influencer marketing. And then I also have, again, those functions, PR, um, entertainment partnerships, and then our creative and content teams. So all the creative that we develop across the company, as well as um, content in our social handles and our social channels. Uh, and so, yeah, some of these are focused in within the businesses, and some of them are shared responsibilities across the businesses. So it's a, it's a real hybrid. It is a hybrid, right? And I would think it probably continues to evolve since it's as 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 things are consolidated, centralized, and and seeing sort of what works and what doesn't. Yeah, it it does, and you know we've got a couple new businesses launching that we joke with the founders. They don't want me to talk to from a marketing standpoint because they want them to figure it out on their own a little bit. They're real believers, and this is where I've learned so much in this environment because I would have never done it this way at Bank of America. If you launched a new product, you would say, let's put them with the most experienced product launch people. And the feeling here is, you know, the best way to figure out something new is to not do things the way they've always been done. Mm. And so we want to give these new products room to breathe and get out there and figure out something without being influenced by a person who's done it a lot before. And I think that's really fascinating. And, And the fact that we give them room to do that. And then when they get on their feet a little bit, you know, folks like me and others on the team can really help them. Again, think about pouring gasoline on it. But, it's so funny. Uh, I, I had the same experience when um, I first started working on the Wharton Future of Advertising program. And uh, I had been at AT&T for 16 years, so I had a very similar sort of structured marketing kind of background. And the first partnership that we did with Google to, to launch a, a YouTube channel um, of interviews, uh, we did in like four weeks. <laughs> and right. and their motto was launch and iterate. Yeah. Like get yeah. it out there, see that what it feels exactly like, right. get the things and then and then change it over time. But but launch, get it going. Jay, that I wanna... was the biggest piece for me, yeah. which I, my instinct when I first got here was you know, let's figure this out <laughs> and put a plan together right, right. and get everybody aligned, right? And <laughs> yes. The, the advice I was getting in that when I look back on the one thing I would have changed a little bit is I would have just moved faster on some of these things. Mm. Like I would have gone with my instinct a little bit more and just done it. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that's scary to do at first, right? Because especially if you don't come from a background where that's really rewarded. So we're talking right. about what you've gained from being in this role, you know, going from Bank of America to this environment. But what have you also brought? You know, what do you think your experience as a CMO now at Bark, having come from a very corporate marketer environment, has 
has has how has it benefited um, this company? You know, as opposed to a CMO who maybe perhaps has only ever grown up in the startup world. I think it gives great comfort to, you know, I think we have almost 40 folks on the marketing team now. Mm-hmm. I think it gives great comfort to work for someone who's seen every stressful scenario. <laughs> and it's funny, I, one of the kids, I want to say kid, one of the folks on the team early said to me, you know, you were at Bank of America so long, but have you ever really been a part of a growth story? Yeah. Like a real growth company. Now, when I started at Bank of America, at <laughs> Nations Bank actually, when I was 22, and we were the eighth biggest bank in the country, you know, a small little regional player. And then 16 years later, we were the fourth most profitable company in the world. Yeah. It's funny to have someone say, well, it's part of the growth company, right? And we've been through some crises. <laughs> we have dealt with some things that gives, I think, uh, the ability to put perspective on a lot of what's happening here. Right. Um, I love the hand-to-hand combat nature of every day we're watching um, our subscriber rates, right, and our sales in these businesses, but also I'm able to say, that, but nothing here is going to surprise me from that standpoint. Like I've, let's, uh, I've got sort of a base to work from to figure out how to solve these problems, and I think that's helped um, the team a lot. How you were recently, Bark was actually one of the companies recently cited in the IAB report that came out earlier this year on direct brands of the future, right, and sort of direct to consumer. Yeah, yeah. just no intermediaries and. Um, and the o- true ownership, direct ownership of the co- customer-consumer relationship. Um, how have you felt about that acknowledgement, and what sort of responsibility do you feel to sort of as as an example of that new model or that model that that they were positing everyone should necessarily aspire to for success in this new world? You know, what kind of uh, responsibility do you feel in terms of like upholding Bark as that model? continuing to innovate so that you do continue to stand as as such a um, standout example of that. I know you do a lot of speaking engagements or you're starting to do more speaking engagements and sort of talk more broadly about some of this stuff. But what kind of influence do you want to have in the marketing industry at large and among your marketer peers um, against that backdrop? One is I, I want to create an emotional connection with our customers above all. And I, I we have a unique ability in a direct-to-consumer business like this where we have a one-on-one relationship. We're in that house every month. Uh, we have a huge social community. The same people are talking to our customer service team. is called Happy. They're based in Columbus, Ohio. We have about 215. And they are crazy dog people, right? And they, they talk to our customers all the time about what we're doing. We actually customize about 15,000 different boxes out of those 700,000 and we'll continue to do more and more of that. Wow. So I'm talking around your question a little, but like that emotional connection, we feel a huge responsible, responsibility for. We're surprised in the light business, and so we need to continue to do that. Um, I think as a, from a marketing standpoint, I really view a lot of the, the conferences and the speaking opportunities and so forth is to tell the story more about BART. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I and let I'm people not, take what they want from that case study, essentially. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm really not doing it for other reasons other than we haven't done a lot of that in the past, and now we've kind of got enough of a of a base where it's time to you know these these places that we speak to are filled with influencers listening and talking about the company. There are a lot of companies you all know the name of that are smaller than us 
but have done a great job of doing that, um, of really being out there and becoming known as great marketers, and it's helped um, build their awareness overall. And so that, that's, that's kind of the main reason I'm doing it. Well, it's it's been wonderful having you on the show, Jay. Thank you so much for being with us and for sharing uh, such a, an exciting and, and heartwarming story for a dog owner here. Well, I hope you come visit us in our office because we've got about 40 or 50 dogs here at any one time. So people love coming by and kind of getting a feel for for that sold for that dynamic <laughs> sold from two dog lovers <laughs> yeah <laughs> we will do that i really appreciate it for more insight from business radio please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu